Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis is flying solo again and speaks with Acreage Holdings Chairman and CEO Kevin Murphy. Acreage is one of the biggest multi-state cannabis operators in the United States and over the past few years has made itself as close to a name brand as you can get in cannabis with the addition of political heavyweights including former Speaker of the House John Boehner, former Massachusetts Governor and primary challenger Bill Weld, and former Canadian Prime Minister Kevin Mulroney. Acreage has made big waves this year from attempting to buy the first Canvas Super Bowl ad to its pending acquisition by Canadian mega company Canopy Growth. This is one of those interviews you're really going to want to pay attention to. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our interview with Lewis and Kevin. Hello, friends. Shit, I just stole that from Joe Rogan. Well, regardless. Today, I had the pleasure of recording the 100th episode of The Green Rush. 100 episodes, woohoo, residuals galore! Kidding. But 100 episodes actually is a big number, and it's one I never, ever imagined that we would reach when Ann Donho and I concepted The Green Rush while we were driving through downtown L.A. in late 2017. For almost two years, Anne, Nick Opich, Shay Gunther, and I have had the pleasure of speaking with some of the most interesting, influential, culturally important, politically vital people in the cannabis industry. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this show as much as we have enjoyed making it. Now, it's true. There are definitely days for all of us when making the Green Rush is a grind. But for the most part, this has been one of the most fulfilling experiences of my career. Clearly, I'm a ham. I get to tell my bad dad jokes. I don't have to see you, my loyal listeners, our loyal listeners, rolling your eyes at me. But I appreciate the time that you have given us. Time is the only resource that we have that is completely non-renewable. And every moment that you give us is a moment you'll never get back. And therefore, I hope that you get, you learn as much from our guests as we have. This has been truly a tremendous educational experience for us all. And I want to give a special thanks, shout out to some of the guests that we've had over the years. Chris Crane from Forefront, Danny Moses, Deb Borchard, Congressman Earl Blumenauer, clearly Mike Tyson, who had a massive influence on my life, um, Cowan's Vivian Azer, and Cresco Capital's Matt Hawkins have all been really important, interesting guests friends to the show, friends to our company, um, and they have really, I hope, helped you get a better understanding of what's going on in cannabis. Most importantly, I want to thank my business partners, Jeffrey Goldberger and Todd Fromer. Making the Green Rush takes a lot of time and money, and the commitment that my partners have made to this show is truly vital to its success. Of equal, and I would argue more importance, I want to thank Nick Opich and Shay Gunther, the production team for our show. Without them, you guys wouldn't be hearing this. We wouldn't have the guests that we have, um, and they truly make making the Green Rush a, sh a joy. When we started this show, Anne was reticent 
to be quote unquote on camera. She did not want to be on the mic. While it was her initial idea to create this, she wanted me to be the one who does this. And there was no way I was going to do this alone. And over the last two years, you know, she has really become not only a great interview partner with me, but a fantastic interviewer on her own. Um, and you know, I hope you guys appreciate her as much as I do. Now, while I prefer recording with Anne, my little jar of joy, call back to our interview with Adrian Sedlin from Candescent, this week is a Lewis special, but I promise there will be no Marianne or Ginger references. Anne and the team absolutely hate them. Um, so beyond being our 100th episode, today's show is a special one. I got to spend the afternoon with Kevin Murphy, the chairman and CEO of Acreage Holdings, one of the biggest MSOs in the United States. Now, since you've been listening to many, many episodes of The Green Rush, you know that MSO stands for multi-state operator, basically a, a company that has state-approved licenses to produce, to process and refine, and to sell cannabis across multiple states. Well, when Kevin got into the legal cannabis space back in 2011 in Maine, there was no such thing as a multi-state operator. Heck, there, there were only a, a tiny handful of states that had medical cannabis programs. Today, 33 states have some form of medical program and 11 have an adult use system in place. 2019 has been a transformational year for the cannabis industry and, and probably the biggest news around this industry has been the relationship that was struck between Canopy and Acreage. And while these are two companies that are operating both intertwined and parallel, they are companies that are defining where cannabis is going. What Kevin has built is truly impressive, and I found our conversation to be a lot of fun. I hope you get as much out of this as I did. And again, thank you, truly thank you for giving us the time to pay attention to what we are doing here. We believe what we are doing is important in helping to normalize the conversations around cannabis, talking about issues of criminal justice reform, around social equity, around the medical side of cannabis, and clearly the business of cannabis. We have, since our founding, said that the Green Rush sits at the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. So with that said, now on to my conversation with Kevin Murphy from Acreage Holdings. So um, we are recording this on October 1st. 2019, and I'm sitting across or standing across uh, from Kevin Murphy at his standing desk, which is probably, by the way, the first time I've ever done one of these standing up, which is really cool. Kevin, it's really, uh, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk with me today. Always a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time with me. You know, this is our 100th episode of The Green Rush, um, and the last time you and I sat down, it was right around the time of your RTO, and the, the world for everybody in the cannabis world has just fundamentally changed. Um, and we'll get into what's going on globally, but you know, as I said, we're recording this on October 1st, and, and over the last week or so, we have seen some real interesting movements in D.C., specifically around the Safe Banking Act. What does this mean for acreage? What do you think this means more broadly for the industry? And what's the likelihood of passage in the Senate and, and whether our president is going to sign? Well, we've always been very optimistic about safe banking. And for us, it's really less about should cannabis be available to the American public because we're well past that. Now that 95% of the country believes in medical cannabis and a vast majority believe in 
cannabis for adult use, we're not going back. Now, safe banking is just that. Keeping it safe, taking cash out of the system, and truly protecting the entrepreneurs in this business, the fastest growing industry in the United States, and really taking them out of harm's way. This is believed to be a cash business. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of people believe that there's, uh, with the cash outside the system, it targets a lot of the people in the business. I learned a crazy stat the other day where metropolitan Denver, um, cannabis is 1% of the GDP in that area, but crime rate is 10%. Cannabis crimes in metropolitan Denver, 10% of it is related to cannabis. But that's people breaking into dispensaries and stealing the cash. It's stealing not- cash and keeping people, frankly, in harm's way. And I think safe banking is really a great step forward in cannabis reform and couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. So Senator Crapo has said that he probably will bring it to the floor in the Senate in some form or another. Um, and if he does, you know, Mitch McConnell most probably will bring it to an overall vote. And, and it is assumed that safe banking will pass. You are quite the astute student of, of politics. Do you see this happening? Do you see first Trump signing it? And two, do you think this happens before the end of this year? Or are we looking at something that's going to take place in 2020? We're up. We're optimistic that it'll take place sooner than later. And I think with Senator Crapo uh, behind it and President Trump stating over the last month, he believes that we should leave cannabis to the states. That's messaging to all of the other Republicans that the water's safe, you can come on in, And now that votes are cast and counted, all of the people of this country will understand where their senators are in this. And I don't think any of the senators want to be left behind as it relates to the vast majority believing that uh, we're moving in the right direction. And so I am optimistic that safe banking has a very good chance of passing this year. What about the States Act? States Act is another, um, a, a whole, uh, another uh, ball of wax. I think states is uh, making it federally permissible in the states in which, um, you know, cannabis reform is uh, been voted on or legislatively put into place. So 33 states medically, of which 11 are adult use, and uh, It makes sense to leave it to the states. But unfortunately, a lot of other bills are now being uh, put forward because it's not a matter of whether they should uh, make it permissible federally in the states in which um, there's participation, but it's how much on social reform, how much on expungements. And if you give people choice, two, three, four choices, they tend uh, not to make a choice. Yeah. And so unfortunately, I think 
uh, the States Act is being to some degree a little bit diluted uh, with a number of other bills that are being put forth. So the cannabis industry from a federal a regulatory perspective has been an incremental industry, right? You know, it, it's been, we're going to start with medical cannabis and, and, you know, that started in California and then it went to, to other states and then, you know, Colorado and Washington were the first ones to leap in from uh, adult use perspective. SAFE is an incremental step that the industry is supporting. Um, the, the States Act is another incremental step. Are you, do you believe that the industry is at a point where we should be saying, screw incrementalism, let's go whole hog and go for federal um, you know, permission, or do you still think that incrementalism is the way to go? Incremental is the really only way to go, and I would agree with you. Um, crawl, walk, run. Very, very difficult to come out with a broad brush stroke and then have to go back on it. We've always believed that every uh, excellent program in every state has been start slow, um, increase over time, uh, increase the uh, usage as it relates to ailments, and ultimately that leads to um, a good adult use state. And we've seen some states do it very, very well. We've seen some states do it less well. But I think safe banking is the first right step by taking cash out of the system where we can account for capital. I mean, think about it. If you want to fuel an illicit business, make it a cash business. Um, <laughs> or public relations. I'll get paid in cash anytime <laughs> you want. But I do think that from where we sit, we believe we've always had access to banking. But we believe the 10,000 others in this business that don't have the same opportunity that we've been afforded need to have uh, the ability to bank. And so, uh, again, step one, we believe will be accomplished sooner than later, and we believe it's going to be this year. And then states should quickly follow, making it permissible in the states. And then from there, let's talk about expungement. Let's talk about social inequality in the space. But I think safe banking is a great step and a step in the right direction as it relates to social equality because it gives access to the folks that may not have access to capital historically. So let's stick in politics just for a moment longer. Um, you know, Acreage is well known for having the, the, the most powerful board when it comes to political background. You know, you have um, John Boehner, former Speaker of the House, Prime Minister Mulroney, uh, Governor Weld, um, all of which have played, you know, from a, a perceptional perspective, an important role in, in vaulting acreage into a leadership position from a functional role, though. What have these guys done to help you, whether it be in the halls of power or in your boardroom? Well, we've always believed that cannabis has been the cross-section of commerce and regulation. And we believe our board addresses that exceedingly well with the esteemed board members that you've mentioned, as well as some of the business board members that we have, um, such as Larissa Herta, chairwoman for Time Warner Media, and Bill Von Fossen, chairman of Blue Cross Blue Shield, Massachusetts, 
and Doug Main, um, the past CFO of IBM, legitimate operators with a lot of experience um, on the commerce side. With that, on the political side, Speaker Boehner and Governor Weld and Prime Minister Moroni have given us great access to folks that we never would have had access to historically. Um, I've often said it would take me six months to uh, accomplish what John Boehner could accomplish in one phone call. And it's about the people that he has come across in his career, or whether it's Governor Weld. Is, is John opening his Rolodex? Oh, John has been exceptionally helpful to us and has really opened doors for us, not only in the House, but in the, in the Senate. On both sides of the aisle, because he, you know, he was he, even though he was right of center, he did have moments where he was bipartisan. Has he been able? Because those three guys are not liberal; they are not progressives. You know, they are right of center when it comes to politics. Has Has John Boehner been able to help you with? You know, I'm not saying AOC, but you know, with the more centrist Democrats as well as the the more centrist Republicans. Absolutely, he's well liked, and I think well respected. And yes, many times during his career, he was bipartisan. Bill Weld is libertarian, and so he has always believed in people's freedom of choice. Yes, he's a fiscal conservative, but I think that's really where it begins and ends. He's a believer in um, gay rights. He's a believer in cannabis reform, and he's been a very progressive thinker. He's been way out in terms of cannabis, um, much further than almost anybody in the Republican Party. Well, he was. He was actually 20 years ago um, advocating for the legalization of cannabis. And what makes him so unique is prior to his becoming the governor of Massachusetts, he was one of the top law enforcement agents at the DOJ. So it gives you a, a real an excellent perspective on not only politics, but also law enforcement. And he has been uh, terrific for us as well. So you mentioned expungement earlier, which is a huge issue. And it was one of the reasons why the, the New Jersey bill failed. Um, you know, Bill Weld's background of being DOJ and understanding the, the mandatory minimums, the criminal justice reform issues. You know, has he been in your ear talking about this issue? Well... We believe that reform and expungement is critical. At Acreage, we have afforded a, an enormous opportunity, a privilege to participate in a business that people had been incarcerated for uh, years ago. And today. A lot of, and, and today. And a lot of these folks... Uh, because they didn't have the, the means to defend themselves, are doing time for uh, small amounts of uh, possession. And to us, it's, it's a shame. But it's also, from our vantage point, a responsibility to take the resources that we've been granted and given in this business to give back and help not only with expungement, but also helping minorities uh, achieve um, their career goals in this business. And we are 
in the midst of rolling out a very important program that we hope to take nationwide and really highlighting uh, our participation in the space itself. So um, we're very, very passionate about it. So I, I, I happen to know what this is, and I'm not going to break it here um, because your your comps team would kill me. But we will come back. You have to promise me that you will come back again we to talk will. about the Absolutely, CRSR initiative. Because we're very proud of it, and I'm grateful for the fact that uh, we will keep it under wraps until we unveil it. But we couldn't be more proud to be associated. And, uh, again, it's just about doing our part. All right, let's pivot to business, right, because – you know, arguably the biggest piece of news in the cannabis industry in 2019 was the the relationship that was developed between you and Canopy, and we don't need to go through the the whole story about what happened in Davos and you know drinking coffee in your skivvies with uh, with Bruce Linton, but you know. <sighs> The entire industry stock has been under pressure, right? You're looking at between 20 and 40% declines on average for almost every single public cannabis company. Your stock, too, is not doing as, as, as you would want it to be doing. Do you see any causal relationship or what is the relationship between the deal with, with Canopy and what's been going on with your stock? Well, it's a... It's a pretty complex question, and I'll try to answer it as well, I'm a, best I'm a complex I guy. <laughs> you are. Um, I think the short answer is our stock has never been under more pressure, and I personally have never been more optimistic about where we are today, not only from a, co- a company standpoint, but from an industry standpoint relating to a cannabis And we've just had overwhelming support in the House for safe banking, which I think signals to the Senate that they need to pass this bill, step one. Two, we feel that with our relationship with Canopy and with a lot of these stocks off, as you say, 20 and 40 percent, Our view is with the relationship in Canopy and further Constellation, we had always believed that this would help us secure our place in history looking out three to five years. The deal was not contemplated um, for what are we getting today, but it's really about what we're going to own and what we're going to create five years from now. And a lot of the cannabis players that exist today don't need to exist in five years. You're going to see a lot of aggregation. You're going to see a lot of folks, unfortunately, go by the wayside. And now that the stock market is off pretty dramatically, a lot of people have been shut out um, to the capital markets. The biggest news in 2019 was your deal with Canopy Growth. And, you know, it, it blew everybody's mind, totally blew everybody's mind, mine included. Um, and, you know, like Canopy and like everybody in the industry, you know, one, I don't think everybody clearly understands how the deal works. And you've talked a lot about it. Um, and two, they don't understand ultimately the value, especially with your stock under such pressure. So take a moment, talk to us about you know, what are the real triggers on what the deal, what happens with the deal? And then ultimately, you know, 
you may need to raise capital at some time. So with your stock so low, what does the canopy deal mean to you around that? Well, when the canopy deal took place earlier this year, we could not have been more excited. And we remain thrilled to have done the deal with canopy. And for us, the story hasn't changed. We are one of the dominant players in the United States. We've coupled our efforts with a global dominant player in cannabis with a tremendous partner in Constellation. It's the combination of efforts that remains the same today. So the stock may go up, the stock may go down, but we have to continue and we are continuing with building our business, not necessarily having to grab a headline here or a headline there, but every day executing with the capital that we've been given through the capital markets and our goal and our uh, future remains the same. We're in 20 states. We're going to go deeper and broader in those states. We're going to increase that size and three to five years from now, capitalizing on what we've received today from Canopy. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on IP, cannabis know-how, uh, clinical work that we don't have to pay for. We get it for free. It's a licensing agreement that we don't pay for. And so it's leveraging off of all of that. Plus, yes, the stock market's down. And people have to access capital. Selling stock at these levels is not the best way to access capital. Just ask a bunch of people who've had to do it recently. Unfortunately, yes. And, you know, they're borrowing at Visa plus 10. And I've got a better shot at getting, you know, better returns or, 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 or cheaper capital with my credit cards. But the view from our vantage point is, and we've always messaged it and will continue to prove the fact that we will have the cheapest capital in the business because of our affiliation with Canopy and Constellation. And that will be an enormous advantage now that things are frankly so soft. And so our goal and our, our plan has not changed and are as thrilled today about the transaction as we've ever had. So there's an apocryphal story about how the deal kind of got struck in Davos last year with you and Bruce at the Cannabis House. I have to ask, is he a, a tidy whitey or a boxer brief guy? That's a very uncomfortable question. <laughs> I get out there. As best I can. He's, he's an attractive man for sure. But I think that, um, you know, Bruce and I have developed a tremendous friendship. I have great respect for what he has done historically to create Canopy as it is today. Um, I also know that Canopy and Constellation will find an extraordinary leader going forward. They have a terrific CEO today uh, in Mark Zucklin. And, uh, but Mark has stated that he would like to move on and do other things. And I also know that both Canopy and Constellation uh, are working on new leadership, and I am certain that they're going to find someone to take this to the next level. You? And it probably won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, enough to do here at Acreage and uh, uh, certainly thrilled with my job. So, um, you, know. you know, Acreage has 
like most of the other MSOs, were built initially as financial instruments, right? You guys all identified that this was a land rush to grab licenses. And then at some point you would build out and start to sell a lot of cannabis. The markets are now actively expecting acreage to deliver. How are you guys going to, to pivot from this financial company to an operational company? I would say back in 2011, we started out, or I started out, as a financial concern looking to make investments and make a return. But this business is really no different from businesses that I've created historically. Back in the late 90s, I started a money management firm, making investments, hoping to make a return. Ultimately, over a period of time, we grew that organization to a $36 billion enterprise, managing money and billions of dollars for others. This business is no different. We started out making investments, and those investments were then aggregated into a holding company. And that holding company is now morphed into an operating company. The key to our success will always be surrounding it with people that can operate these assets and operate them well. We're in 20 states. We're adding personnel every day. Professionals from Apollo Group, professionals from CPG companies, and we're surrounding the organization to turn these investments into operating investments to operating companies that we are now growing into a multi-billion dollar business. And so from our vantage point, it's simple blocking and tackling is going to win the day. Yes, people are looking to us for return. We're clearly focused on that. And you know, we've certainly ebbed and flows over the years. And we believe 2020 sets up beautifully with the momentum we've created thus far. Let's talk a little bit about um, your house of brand strategy, which is different from where you were. And now it's, you know, over the last six months or so, you guys have, have really started to th develop your own brands. You have the acreage brands, and then you have access to the canopy brands. How does this all play out? Well, our goal with the 20 states that we're in, we believe we can be the kingmaker for a lot of brands. We created our own internally, as stated. The botanist, uh, we have the live resin, and they are. They're beautiful stores, and it really, it, it's a beautiful uh, blend from the medical and wellness side of the business to the adult use side of the business. And uh, we're certainly proud of uh, the botanist brand, and we're going to continue with that. We're also going to leverage off of Canopy's brands, Tweed, Tokyo Smoke, because we think in certain areas of the country, those will resonate and do very, very well. We're also looking to bring forward products differentiating products like Natural Wonder, um, the spray, yep. um, and that is really, we believe, going to uh, displace a lot of the uh, vape users in the space. So my understanding of Natural Wonder, it's similar to like a Banaka Blast, right, where you and it, um, it's like a microdose. It is. It's not only a microdose, but it's also a great delivery and bioavailability is um, quicker than 
most ingestibles, but you don't have the, frankly, the, the, the problem with inhalation and it doesn't go into your lungs. And so our view is it's coming up with these innovative product offerings. Now, was that developed in-house or was that in conjunction with Canopy or a license from Canopy? How it did was that actually work? developed uh, with our, through our acquisition in Form Factory. And these guys are innovators. We're thrilled to have made that acquisition because they will bring more innovative product offerings, being one of the largest co-packers outside of cannabis and now one of the largest within the cannabis industry. And it's not only our own brands that we will look to develop and create with Forum Factory, but also take other brands and put them on our rails in the 20 states that we've developed. You've been really generous with your time. I only have a couple more questions. And I want to get into you, right? Because um, companies are often, the cultures, the direction are defined by their, their leader. And you are the CEO of this company. And my experience is that people learn best from failure. You know, you can just step into success, but realistically, pain is the best teacher that you can possibly have. Can you talk about a failure in your life, whether it be business or personal, that has informed who you have become as a man and then how that has influenced your leadership here at Acreage? Well, it's a... um it's a question that I can answer in many, many different ways. I think that being competitive for most of my life and having You're, you're a, competitive? <laughs> I've never noticed that about you. Well, I, 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 I was very, very fortunate to have played football as a youngster. And, you know, I have five other brothers. And my father once said to us, uh, used to refer to us as men. And he said, men... I've got six beautiful sons, and there's two things I'll guarantee you in life, your education and your faith. And as gracious as he was and as wonderful as he was, unfortunately, my three older brothers spent most of the money on private schools and then private colleges. So when I was a sophomore in college, my father came back to me and my younger brothers and said, I've got the faith covered, okay? Yeah. But start catching passes or, you know, Southern Connecticut State College is going to be a really good choice for you. But I often say that I could have been one of the greatest football coaches ever because I played for one of the absolute best coaches in the world, a guy named Mark Duffner, who was one of my college football coaches who's now still in the NFL. But I also believe that I played for one of the worst coaches in football and to know the difference – And I think the real difference was the one coach that was not a believer in me. I was too slow and too short to play after college. (laughs) And I thought to myself, you know something, that's a lot of motivation. And I'm pleased to to say that I got paid to play football at a juncture in my life. But I think that, you know, the motivation behind wanting to win as a team and surrounding yourself with the right teammates is just a critical job one. And to me, that's been the greatest privilege here at Acreage, being able to surround this organization with so many extraordinary people. We have close to 900 people in this organization, and I couldn't be more proud to just be one of the players in the organization. 
Now you're the coach. I mean, look, realistically, as the CEO, you know, there, there is the, the aphorism, you know, the, the fish stinks from the head. You are the head. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, you're not you may be a player on the team, but you're the player manager, right? It's not, it's not like you're just pulling. You're not an offensive guard who's pulling. You're, you're there. Well, you're, you're kind to say it, but I would, uh, and this is not a gratuitous statement, you know, of humility. I think it's, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And there are a lot of decisions that I uh, was very convicted in making. And some of my partners would say, you know, geez, Murph, you need to rethink that or to, to adjust maybe some of your thinking. And I think that is really what has jettisoned uh, into the company that we are today. And so from that vantage point, uh, there's no one, two, or three people that could have gotten there on their own. And, and clearly, this is uh, a real uh, you know, team effort. So I've heard you talk about football a lot. And, uh, and probably most people who are listening don't know that you are an avid martial artist. Um, you know, so you talk about the lessons of teamwork from football. But what are the lessons you've learned from wearing a gi? And how have you applied those to, to your business life? And it's amazing, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Many years ago, uh, as a jiu-jitsu practitioner, I was approached by uh, some of the instructors that wanted to open their own gym, but they couldn't afford it. So I had uh, opened a gym for them and said, uh, it's going to be a one-time expense for me, but what I want you to do is I want you to train a handful of uh, kids that don't have the money to train. And so I run it to some degree as a nonprofit. From my vantage point, they run it as a for-profit. And you know the, the lessons learned on a mat, when you have a young man or woman that's troubled that comes in to train and truly understands what it is to not only fight on the mat, but also get clear about the demons that they fight in their head we have created extraordinary, uh, taken children and, and, and created some amazing adults. But the one thing that I've learned is, uh, you know, sometime in your life you're going to get tapped out or choked out. And it's not necessarily the loss, but it's the way in which you recover from that loss. And it's the comeback from understanding what it is to lose, learning why you lost, and next time at it, basically doing that much better. And it's a lesson on the mat, but it's a lesson in life. And, you know, we have created an environment there, uh, and we're trying to create the same environment here. We don't get it 100% right every time. How accepting a failure are you here? It's hard to take because... Um, there are th some things that we can control and some things that we can't. And um, I guess we're less appreciative in understanding of the things that we've had control over that we failed at. But there's nothing wrong with failure. There's clearly something wrong if you don't learn from a failure. And you continue to make the same mistake over and over. That is something that we really don't try to, uh, we don't tolerate. <laughs> All right, I got. I have two more questions, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, and I, again, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, you got into cannabis in 2011, and it was pun intended greenfields, right? It was pretty open. 
we are now in 2019. Um, there is a robust public sector that's involved in the space. There are lots and lots of companies across the entire supply chain. Do you think there's still room for a young entrepreneur to get into cannabis, um, or has that ship sailed? That ship has not sailed. <clears throat> now, being in it from 2011, one might think that we're in the seventh or eighth inning, but we are absolutely not. This is still a nascent business. It is still a business that is growing leaps and bounds, and I would encourage anyone that has a great idea, passion for the business, passion for a new career, to jump in with both feet. This is projected to be, frankly, from the medical side to the recreational side, but the vast opportunities on the wellness side. And, you know, whether it's $350 billion of global usage or and that number going much higher, um, we only capture a very small bit of it. Just simply capturing a piece of the uh, transition from the illicit market to the regulated markets provide, provides great opportunity. So you're now seeing more seasoned veterans getting involved and, and more legitimate business people getting involved. Um, and I think that only compounds the growth and the enthusiasm for others to want to get involved. And I think this opportunity is going to grow exponentially from here. So there's plenty of room for anyone to be involved. Okay, so we're in New York City, the media capital of the world, both the le legitimate and the fake news media. So you wake up tomorrow morning, you open up the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. What is the one story that you wish the mainstream media was covering about cannabis that they're not? What are they missing? What is everybody forgetting about this industry that you wish people were paying attention to? Hmm, there's a lot of answers um, to it. I would say if I had to speak to one, it would be that um, the VA now recognizes that veterans, too, should have an opportunity to make a choice um, and choose cannabis. Today, we have 33 states that are medical, but veterans really don't have an opportunity to participate in their, these programs uh, because it puts them in harm's way with the federal government. And with 23 million veterans making a choice at a point in their life to potentially risk their life for this country, it's a shame that they don't have the opportunity to choose their medicine. And for institutions like the VA to recognize that uh, opiates are a dead end and that cannabis can be a much greater solve, uh, that would be the greatest headline that I would see on the Wall Street Journal waking up tomorrow. A special thanks to Kevin Murphy, chairman and CEO of Acreage Holdings. Um, as always, Kevin was a fantastic guest and if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. As always, you can drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Um, we are always looking for feedback, guest ideas, questions, you name it. We're open to pretty much anything. Send us a note. 
And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review The Green Rush on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Stitcher, wherever you are listening to this. Every little bit helps. That's one take, Shay. One take.